This is Persuasion and the Public Mind. I'm Mark Bourdine. Today we're going to spend some time exploring the persuasiveness of the source. That is to say, those individuals and organizations that persuade us. Whether we interact with media sources or in face-to-face communication, we form a mental picture of a person or organization from the distilled information we receive. We may think we know these sources we see, hear, and read about, but in most cases, our knowledge of them is fairly limited. How is it that persuasive sources use language and visual images, along with cultural beliefs, values, and behaviors to form intimate relationships with an audience? We're going to explore some answers to this question with someone who is no stranger to this topic or this program. Tim Borchers is author of Persuasion in the Media Age and Vice President for Academic Affairs at Peru State College. So Tim, how does media itself affect how we view or perceive persuaders? So if you think back to days before television, um, it would be very difficult to get access to a political candidate. Most of the time you would have to read about them in in the newspaper. Uh, You might read about a speech they gave or an event that they gave that that took place days or even weeks ago. Uh, Maybe you'd be lucky to have a whistle stop tour come through town where politicians would travel the country in trains and make brief stops in in different locations. but you're very limited in in the kinds of information that you would get about political candidates, very limited in in the chance to get to know them. But with media and with modern technology, we're able to read tweets that are sent out instantaneously from from political candidates. We're able to watch them on our high-definition television screens and and see the the smallest little detail in in how they appear and how they present themselves. And and oftentimes, we're able to either meet them face-to-face or uh, interact with them through maybe some video conferencing or or something where we can really get close to them. So the, the media and technology has made has brought all these politicians as well as other sources, uh, maybe media spokespersons or famous celebrities, really brought them into our living rooms, pretty much brought them into our our pockets if we if we on our cell phones and and that that's had several effects. Um, it allows us to see here and be close to them, as I've mentioned. It also uh, really boils them down into different images or perceptions that we have of them. It's very difficult to to really get to know someone through media, but instead we we form uh, quick judgments based on their their intelligence, based on how um, how they might feel about certain things, about how we feel about them, about how electable they are, and so they the media really distill the whole person down into a, a really quick image that we have of them, and then they give those images uh, meaning. So they might. Um, tell us that someone is is unelectable or that they're electable, that someone is caring or that someone is passionate or that someone has a hot temper or something like that. So uh, it's really difficult for us to avoid kind of the secondhand um, rendering of of what those those people are when we watch different uh, media coverage of political candidates, for instance. Mm -hmm. And also, it it really privileges the kind of information that we get about them. Uh, Very rarely do we we get the whole idea that a a politician might have. Instead, we just get brief little sound bites, as we've been talking about. And it's those brief sound bites or those tweets that give us perspective on that person and, and gives us a very limited view of, of what, that, what that person is like in total. So some, 
Some politicians really try to go above and beyond that and where they have uh, advertisements maybe where they talk about who they are and what kind of person they are. Town hall meetings are a great opportunity to, to cut through some of that to find out a little bit more. But still, a lot of times those get boiled down into really quick, quick brief images of them. So media not only has brought persuaders close to us, but they've also uh, greatly influenced how we perceive those persuaders, uh, not always in a positive way, but in a way that that's really hard to avoid. All right. So uh, when we're, we're listening to and seeing a person speak, uh, whether it's on the radio, TV, movies, or whatever you choose, uh, we pay attention to what they say, how they say it, their visual presentation, behavior, body language, and the like, and we make a judgment about their credibility. Um, what does the research tell us about the characteristics of credibility? Well, there have been a lot of people over the years, uh, going all the way back to uh, Aristotle in ancient uh, Greece, who talked about what made for a credible person, and, and for Aristotle, uh, people who had wisdom or people who had knowledge were were seen as being credible. Uh, they often uh, also saw people who had virtue or ha who had good values, uh, people who had a good moral upbringing. Uh, those were seen as, as being more credible than than scandals or scoundrels or criminals. Also, people that, that had goodwill, uh, people who had the best interests of the audience in mind, uh, people who served other people rather than just themselves. So those were the kinds of, of people that Aristotle in that day uh, said were, were credible. And those were, were speakers that we should listen to, speakers that we should pay attention to what they have to say and, and be influenced by. Uh, there's been a lot of research, obviously, since then. Uh, some of the the most recent research uh, looks at safety, uh, the degree to which we trust a source or a persuader, and um, it, it talks about the relationship that we have with them, how that relationship uh, builds trust, and um, so you can think about how speakers try to talk about their family, they try to talk about how as a parent they do certain things, all of those uh, kinds of examples are are them trying to build that trust with the audience. And then another thing that, that, that is looked at by researchers today are, are qualifications. And that is the, the expertise or the judgment about how much we think that persuader knows about a situation. And so a lot of, uh, a lot of politicians, especially early on in a political campaign, they really try to talk about what their qualifications for the position are, what kinds of offices they've had, what kind of success that they've had in, in their career. So that builds qualification. And then researchers focus on a third component, and that's dynamism. And that includes kind of how bold, how much energy the person has, how passionate they are, uh, how, how they can excite an audience, how they can inspire an audience. And so that, that's an important component as well. So you could have someone who seems to be pretty trustworthy, someone who seems to know what they're talking about, but unless they can really cut through and inspire an audience, they, they may not be seen as, as credible as someone who can do all three of those characteristics. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, now I want to turn to the issue of what's called mediated reality or mediated information and the creation of a mental picture of a person through our interaction with media. Um, politicians, businesses, and celebrities all use ad agencies or public relations managers 
to uh, help craft a favorable favorable uh, image of uh, of themselves. And uh, of course, this is something you would uh, expect to happen. But oftentimes, this can be nothing more than the construction of a front. Um, so what are the materials involved or tactics used uh, in this construction? And uh, what, what are the potential effects on audiences? Well, I think that's a good way of, of summarizing how, how persuaders or sources take on certain kinds of images with us. Um, there's been a great deal of research done about, about images and, and about um, not just the appearance of someone, but how that appearance creates meaning and how that, how that image of, a, of the person gets formed mentally in our, in our heads. And, and one thing we should know is that, there's, that they're planned. Um, politicians pay careful attention to what they wear, uh, where they speak, who they're seen with, um, what kind of uh, images they surround themselves with, their campaign logo, for instance. So they're all trying to create an, an image of, of who they are. And that, that image takes into account all of those different components that I talked about. Mm -hmm. So they are, so they're created and planned. Uh, they also need to be believable. Uh, you can't, um, you can't make a person be someone they're not. So uh, the the strategists for politicians have to have to really do their research with focus groups, for instance, and maybe find out what the perception of their of their candidate is, so that they can uh, play on that and and create a, a believable uh, person or a believable image for the audience. There there has to be has to be something. So a spokesperson for a, for a product, for instance, uh, they need to uh, actually be seen as someone who might use the product in order for them to be persuasive. Also, the, it has to be very vivid and concrete. It has to, uh, the, the image of someone has to not be a fuzzy or, um, it, it has to be something the audience can really grab onto. And so the, the most effective politicians are ones that are kind of the complete package. We know who they are, we know who their family are, we know what they stand for, we know what their experience is. Uh, it's very difficult to, to get around politicians that maybe aren't as experienced or that, that audiences don't know as much about because it, it, they're not as, as vivid and, and concrete as they could be. Also, images are, are simplified. We only have a, a brief, you know, if you think about all that goes into making up a person, we're pretty complex individuals. Uh, an image is just a, a snippet of that. It's just a, a glimpse of what that person of what that person or what that company might be. And, and it's, um, but it's something that, that that's what's transmitted then through, through a tweet. That's what's transmitted through a, a, a interview on the news broadcast. So, so it has to be something that can be simplified and still yet be persuasive. And also it needs to be somewhat ambiguous so that it, it is able to be seen from different perspectives, from different audience members. Uh, they need to be able to, uh, people need to be able to kind of project their own experiences or their own beliefs and values onto an image of, of someone that they might see. So uh, there might be different people who get attracted to different politicians for different reasons, and that's because that politician's been able to present an image that's, that's somewhat ambiguous and somewhat open to, to multiple perceptions. Well, images uh, can also be manipulated by news media, can't they? Uh, do you have any examples of that? Well, I think... You can think of a lot of politicians probably that have had a, a, a an unfair uh, run through the media. Hillary Rodham Clinton would probably be a pretty good example of, of how the image of her was was really boiled down in, in a lot of media reporting um, 
in, in 2016 that uh, she was untrustworthy because of her emails, because of some of the uh, transactions that her foundation might have taken place. Um, and, and that just really became to kind of stand for her. And obviously, Donald Trump and, and other politicians exploited that at, at every chance that they could. And it really was something that, that overshadowed all the experience that she'd had in politics, her ability to articulate uh, policy, and, and really uh, kind of downplayed the, the support that she had with, with a lot of people in the country. So I think that's probably a, a good example of, of a person who over the years, and that's just the most recent example, but, but a person who really took on a uh, – or who was given an image that, that may or may not have been fitting of her, but one that had a pretty disastrous uh, consequence for her as she was running for president. Yeah. What would you uh, say are the most important things to keep in mind when evaluating a person's image? Well, just that, that they can be manipulated both by uh, media who might be transmitting them, but also by the, the persuader themselves. Uh, they may be creating a false image or they may be creating an image that's not really based on on anything other than, than what their focus groups told them they should talk about. So on both ways, they can be uh, manipulated uh, we also really need to try to get beyond the image in many ways. Uh, we need to try to uh, read more about a person, read more about their potential policies. We, we need to do some fact-checking and not just be taken in by, by things that we hear from, from their political opponents, for instance, or from the news media. Um, so don't prejudge a, a person based on, on what your, your first-hand impression of them is. Uh, really understand the role of influence of the media in, in creating an image and perpetuating an image, um, use a variety of media. It's, it's really important to not just listen to the same channel over and over again or read the same newspaper, but try to get news from a, a variety of different sources so that you get both information that confirms your, your opinion of, of someone as well as information that might challenge it a little bit. And, uh, and really focus on qualification, safety, dynamism, the kinds of, of factors that, that researchers have found are, are components of credibility. And really try to examine those as, as you think about some of the persuaders that, that we encounter. Got it. Yeah. Um, in your book, you talk about practices or tools used to create an image for individuals and or organizations and uh, also about image repair. Could you uh, describe some of those practices for us? Yes, you can probably think of a lot of examples of politicians or spokespersons or athletes or figures in the news media and how they have uh, run into problems. Uh, the, the Me Too movement certainly has uh, brought down a lot of persuaders that, that we previously probably had respected or, or listened to. And uh, when that's the case, our persuaders often go through a conscious process of trying to build themselves back up. Companies do this as well. Uh, when a company has, uh, has some problems with the, with the public, it, it has to go through some, some image repair strategies. And so William Benoit, a communication studies researcher, and he's, he's uh, led a lot of the research on image repair strategies. And there's a lot of different uh, options that, that people have depending on the situation they're in. Sometimes they can simply deny the, the allegations against them, or they can scapegoat or, or shift the blame to someone else. Uh, oftentimes that's ineffective if the, if the charges against them are substantial or significant enough, and that's where they might um, use evasive 
strategies where they can um, argue that they were maybe acting in self-defense. So that would be one way that they can uh, evade responsibility. They can also try to um, claim that the, that the offensive act was an accident, something that they'll never do again, something that they had no control over. Um, they can also just say that it was it was something that that was unforeseen, something that that may not have happened. So they can deflect the charges uh, by denying them or by trying to evade them. They can also reduce the offensiveness of the charges so they can so they can minimize them. And uh, again, this is a, a strategy that that would have to be pursued carefully, depending on the the uh, extent of of whatever difficulties they're running into. And that, so they might use strategies such as um, strengthening their positive image by talking about maybe some of the past things that they've done that have been positive. Uh, they could talk about how the whatever the allegations are weren't as bad as what are being made out to be. Uh, they can also maybe show that they were trying to do something good and that this resulted as a as a or this happened as a result of it. Or they can sometimes they compensate their their victims. Um, plane companies often do this after a plane crash. They they compensate the the victims as as a way to try to rebuild their image with the public. Uh, finally, they can they can take responsibility for their action and uh, ask for forgiveness and kind of remove themselves from from the public situation. Uh, you've seen this with uh, Matt Lauer, for instance, the former NBC news anchor, uh, after allegations came out that he had engaged in improper sexual contact with, with some other employees, um, removed from the show and uh, has kept a pretty low pro profile since then. It'll be interesting to see if he tries to work his way back into the social life and if he tries to work his way back into the media. Certainly, there have been uh, examples of, of people who have done that. Um, or companies who have done that, um, but it's a it's a careful it's a careful act to to try to balance the the extent of the problem with the with the the solution that the person uses to try to, to try to win back the public's trust. Tell us a little more about the creation of an image for individuals and organizations. It's important to point out that images are, are often carefully manufactured by uh, individuals or by organizations. Um, there's a lot of different uh, public relations type efforts that, that organizations or, and individuals go through. Uh, a mission statement for an organization uh, serves to internally drive the people within that organization, but it also communicates an, an image to the external audience as well about what that company is or what that organization is. Uh, sometimes um, you see public interest type commercials that, that talk about how, how good an organization is and how it, it uh, contributes to this cause or, or is involved in this, in this uh, campaign. That's another way of, of trying to build the image of the, of the company. Slogans that, that organizations use uh, are often, or campaign slogans that politicians use are often good ways for them to try to show who they are and, and who they might be. Also, as I said earlier, kind of who you surround yourself with and the kinds of uh, decisions you make about where you appear if you're a political candidate and who you appear with and, and even how do you dress. I think those things all are, are ways of creating, of creating an image. Uh, organizations often use spokespeople or uh, celebrities or athletes to um, 
promote their their product. It's really important that you choose people who have a high level of public respect, and that you choose people who who um, aren't engaged in behavior that some members of the public might find questionable. I think lots of examples uh, lately where organizations have had to pull the sponsorship for maybe someone in the news media who has taken on a, a viewpoint that that's not popular with a lot of people, and so the organization being sensitive to how they're portrayed in the public might pull their funding for that for that person or for that show. Uh, Roseanne would be a really good example of that, where she said some some um, tweeted out some things that people perceived to be racist, and and they pulled her off of her the show that had her name uh, as a result of that. So that's a, another example. Individual persuaders often use uh, nonverbal communication. It might be with how they how they speak. Uh, we tend to think uh, people who speak faster have more credibility. Uh, open hand gestures are often seen as something that that's more friendly than maybe a closed fist or uh, crossing your arms in front of yourself. Uh, those are all examples of uh, of how some hand gestures and some nonverbal communication can create a, a negative impression. Um, a lot of the research says matching uh, a person's nonverbals when you're speaking with them one-on-one -on -one is a really good way to, to build credibility with them. So if they uh, have an open kind of posture, having an open posture back towards them would, would also help them to see you as someone who's credible, someone who, who's likable. So there are a lot of ways that, that organizations and individuals can uh, use persuasive strategies to create positive impressions with the audiences that they are trying to connect with or identify with. And, and some, this is, this is often called impression management. And so that's the, the attempt to, to really uh, use our communication cues to identify with, with audiences. Well, Tim, there are certainly many occasions where the source of a persuasive message is unknown, and that can be problematic in terms of its ethical implications. Can you give us a couple of examples of how that works? Well, a couple of examples. Um, news media often um, protect their sources, so they often refer to unnamed sources for stories. Usually they try to corroborate that and, and use journalistic integrity to make sure that what they're reporting isn't simply hearsay, but it's often difficult to, to get to the extent of that. Oftentimes, um, politicians or organizations will, will leak out information that could be damaging to, to kind of see what the public perception of it is. And then uh, if the public perception is negative, they'll say, well, that's not true at all. And if it's positive, they can, they can use that to help uh, spin or, or um, address a certain situation. But, you know, it's, a, it's also when you, when you think about the 2016 and probably the 2018 campaign, um, the evidence suggests that it, uh, actors such as Russia uh, were, were able to get in and create social media posts or advertisements that, that really had an effect on the election. They had an effect on how people talked about the candidates. They had an effect on how people felt about them. And at the time, it was very difficult to know what was going on. And I'm sure lots of people shared shared messages on their on their social media sites that if they would have known the source, they, they probably wouldn't have been as quick to share them. So um, it, it ranges everything from from 
um, good solid reporting using anonymous sources to being completely misled about people or organizations because of what we see in social media that that is created for the purpose of misleading people. And it's uh, it gets to be more challenging each day when we're surrounded by more and more messages and uh, messages that come from people that, that we know and trust. But um, as with everything, it's always good to question the source, to, to question where the information came from, and to try to make the best judgment about whether it's believable or not, and then and act accordingly. Thanks once again to Tim Borchers for his insights and information. I want to remind everyone that Persuasion and the Public Mind is available on Apple, Google, and Spotify, as well as anchor.fm forward slash persuasion. Thanks for listening. See you next time.